And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Good readings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show all this week. A, because it's so good, and B, because that's where you find us every Tuesday. So let me introduce myself. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. And Doug, before we get to our special guest, the great John Boog Shambi, uh, I, I think I left out a title for you, Minivan Driver. Uh, did, did I really see you posting this week <laughs> about the demise of your 11-year-old minivan? Uh, yeah, it, it's more like Minivan Destroyer. Uh, I think that that's more accurate. <laughs> or maybe my, my children decided to destroy it. But you can imagine 11 years of Cheerios uh toxic substances that i can't identify that are burning through the carpet uh yeah it was it was time uh we've used more duct tape than i can imagine my mom's uh my mom's mom who passed many years ago used duct tape for everything uh kitchen towels i mean whatever you needed so uh so yes we had duct tape keeping the hood on and the front on and the bent the fenders all the time and you know i realized that as a major league player all the swag that we had the range rovers the lexus gs all that uh, it was it was quite a shock when I bought my first minivan, and my wife and I went. And now I'm at, to the point where I'm excited about cup holders. I'm very passionate about how many outlets you have, and the features of sliding doors that can't beat anything. And just keep in mind, yeah. ESPN has had the same exact minivan, the Toyota Sienna, red one, patrolling the streets of ESPN's campus. And right. I agree because if my kids didn't destroy it, then nobody can. So that is the perfect security. They're like tanks. They're really like <laughs> tanks. I think the military should should use I, them. Yeah, I'm not like I don't want to talk down minivans. Although you haven't caught me driving one in a long time, but I, I'm not sure if you realize this, but they do make new minivans every year. Like you don't have to hold on to every minivan for 11 years. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because we officially did graduate. I was debating on whether I should drive the minivan off the cliff or return it to the dealer for like 13 cents. Uh, But I got a little credit. And yes, we are in officially a new minivan that's hybrid, by the way. 
Uh, very excited. It's amazing. We well deserved after 12 years of whatever is now eroding on the tires at this point. So uh, I feel bad for the next uh, <laughs> owner of that vehicle, but hey, not my problem anymore. No, no, it is not. What, what was the trade-in value of an 11-year-old Toyota Thir- Sienna? Uh, 13 with cents. duct tape? Uh, yes. 13 yes, cents. Yes, given that you what we did so, to it, yes. All right. So they originally offered you 8 cents and you talked them up to 13 I, I did cents. negotiate with my skills. That's good bargaining. Yes. All right. Before we speak to Boog Shambi about his new gig, about the Cubs, and about Luke Gehrig Day, an event that's near and dear to his heart, there's something else that I want to delve into with you, Doug, and that's athletes in the media and how they're going to interact with each other moving forward on the other side of the pandemic. Now, I don't know if you know this. I've been one of the writers who's been working with both MLB and the union on access issues for over a year now. It's really been a fascinating process. I think for the most part, both sides get that we can't keep doing everything via Zoom for the rest of time. But, you know, I'm not sure that everybody understands that if uh, we can ever get back to any semblance of normal, where people like me are allowed back into clubhouses to talk to people like you used to be, right, one-on-one with with no Zoom cameras in the way, that that benefits everyone. And if if I were going to try to outline, all right, what's the greatest example of that? You know what I would pick? It's you and me and this podcast. Because if you and I had not had the opportunity back when you were playing and I was working in Philadelphia to have all those fun conversations over all those years, would this podcast even exist right now? It wouldn't exist. Um, and, and Jay, it's like even deeper than that. Some of the relationships you build uh, happen before you get to the big leagues, right? We, we become fans and my relationships with the game flowed through media access, the ability for you to tell the stories you told at the Inquirer back in the day that I read and, and you know, the quotes. And yeah, you can get quotes from people over a telephone, sure. But there's something when you are uh, on the field and you're in the mix and you have these relationships that you're building, some of which you're traveling to do and, and seeing people on the road in other contexts. It, you know, it colors what you write and what how you communicate it. So uh, I, I developed a great love for writing through the coverage of the game uh, because baseball was always storytelling for me. So, um, you know, I think, you know, you just lose a lot. And, and not even now covering the game, I miss talking to the players. You know, I used to go... And, and when I worked at ESPN, uh, doing games-wise, at least uh, when I was actually part of the broadcast team, I would go, I would be on the field literally from both batting practices up to the game because I wasn't in the booth. And I spoke hours, hours. I mean, and I came up with philosophical questions of the day, to Joe Girardi and Joe Madden. And, uh, but it was just the ability to be personable and, and personal. So, uh, yeah, it's a great loss when you don't have that. Yeah, and you know, you use that word relationships uh, several times, and that's the word I always use when I talk to both sides about this. Like, you can sit people in front of a Zoom camera, and they will speak words, and we will write them down, and we, we will quote them, and maybe people don't think they can tell the difference, but you don't build those relationships. And here's the thing those relationships don't just benefit us. They benefit players. They benefit all those people on 
quote unquote, the other side too, because a lot of good comes from those relationships. I mean, let's, I mean, we can use you as as an example again. Um, Because A, you were so good at letting your personality show through because of your relationships with people like me in the media. And B, because all those conversations with the media while you were playing gave you a greater understanding of what we do. Can't you connect the dots between all of that and what you're doing now? Like that, those relationships that you built, not just with me, but with people in my line of work, helped set you up for this incredible, happy, dream life you're leading right now, don't you think? Without a doubt. And, and uh, there's a, a direct line to it. And, and I think one thing that I always found sometimes dismissive is the you hear this quote a lot like, well, you have a job to do, right? You know, okay, well, I'll do this because you have a job to do. But it really is more than that. It, it really is more than that. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's woven through these relationships. And you're the connection point to the stories and the great appreciation of the game. And you're delivering this to fans. And like, I, I was a fan. I wanted to know what Mike Schmidt was going to say. I wanted to know that. It was important to me. And, um, and it wasn't just because I had to know, like, stuff happened to him off the field. It was just an understanding of the game. I gained an aptitude for the sport because I had the translators. And, and what gets sort of lost at times is the, the keepers in, that I call the keepers of the game in some ways through the media, they love the sport. Like, so, like, this isn't just like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm just, like, covering this because I have to. Like, people who are, who are going to dedicate their lives and travel and be away from their families, they love this game. And, and they want it to be honest, though. Even though they want to raise its value, they also want it to be honest and, and embrace, to me, what makes baseball so special is that day-to-day existence. Uh, that is a, a big separator from any sport. No sport can claim that. And uh, just like me playing and being with the beat writers and talking, and uh, you're, you know, you're effectively part of the team. And, and some people may like that or not because they're asking tough questions, but... I, uh, I always love that. And as you said, as players, you are able to talk to the fans in a different kind of way. Even like I could go on Twitter and write out like, you know, I can go I can go on Twitter and just be like, hey, this is my messaging. But there's something different about my messaging flowing through someone who has perspective that's not about you. Right. It's, it's a larger. And and that's the difference of why I don't say, well, fine, I could just talk to the press. My, I can just talk to the fans myself. You can, but you don't have context. And, and the love of the sport that makes it larger is giving context and history. And, and that's what puts us on the same playing field and in the same place where we all have the passion for the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. I always try to remind players that you know, they, can, they can learn stuff that maybe they wouldn't know just by talking to us once in a while. I, like I'll never forget Barry Larkin was on the Hall of Fame ballot, right? And I, uh, I wrote a big column putting his career in a historical perspective. And he told me, I didn't realize what a good player I was till I read your column. You know, like, so, okay, you're welcome. <laughs> but, but I mean, you can, there, there is a two-way street that is beneficial to everybody. Um, but, you know, there's one other reason I, I think this is an important topic, uh, and not just for the media. Um, Naomi Osaka brought this to the fore last week when she withdrew from the French Open after she was fined and threatened with suspension for declining to be part of the post-match press conferences. And, 
you know, when she withdrew, she did her best to shine a spotlight on athletes with anxiety issues and how hard those sessions can be for people like that. Um, Doug, I'm, I'm sensitive to anybody who has those issues and how difficult it can be to talk to us. I, I don't take it for granted, never have. Uh, you have been there. If you could talk to Naomi Osaka right now, what would you tell her? Well, I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's deeply personal. And I, I have that understanding. As you know, Jay, my father was a psychiatrist. Um, he spent his whole career, his medical career in that profession. And I learned a lot about a lot of people and understanding the challenges they face, even down to he was a volunteer with the local police department. I learned how difficult the law enforcement, their jobs were on a very personal level. So I, it gave me a certain insight and a, a certain sensitivity to it. And I think with Osaka or just any player, first of all, she's incredibly renowned and accomplished. And I think she has so much to offer in terms of educating us as we've evolved as people through a pandemic and what that's actually meant to anxiety or meant to the different stresses that now face all of us. And so I believe all of our industries have to shift and sort of be aware of that. And I do think that that is happening more. And, and when you have a, someone like Osaka who has that stage, I, there's an opportunity there. Uh, I think there's chance for Osaka or many others to be creative on, okay, how can we adapt these interactions in other ways? You know, some people are comfortable one-on-one. -on -one. Some people are comfortable in larger groups. You know, I, I don't know. It, it just sort of depends. Now, the other thing I'd add, just like I was saying earlier, is I, I, I love to hear from her. I think there's a genuine fan side that's like, you know, I want to understand. Like, she was very active in social justice and why. And um, that message is always important. And as you mentioned, when she's able to communicate it through the filter of the context that press can provide, then I get a, a, a broader understanding. So, um, but my dad used to say this from different times to time. Of course, you'd hear this from a psychiatrist, but he'd say, um, everyone has the right to protect their own sanity, right? The, and so, you know, you have to guard that because that is so central to who you are and how you embrace these relationships, as we mentioned, that are important in this, uh, in the sports world. So, uh, so I understand, and I know she has to do what she needs to do, and I hope she uh, educates us all, gets sort of more insight, and with, you know, speaking on my dad's behalf, and gets sort of the support from professionals that can help. Uh, because it, it, I'd love to hear from her, uh, you know, in the way that she's at her best, no doubt. And I also understand that being in the sport, that you know, and knowing that the the sports are elevated and lifted, you know, in many ways, financially, economically, all these ways through the sort of media enterprise, that I know you try to figure out how that relationship can thrive best, where everybody's respected. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy, and, and there's a lot of very hard questions that you're confronted with. Uh, but um, and that's such the uniqueness of just being a pro athlete. So, I, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear her next steps. I, I really are, but I think they're going to be powerful. No doubt. And I, I, you know, I wonder what impact she has on the future of press conferences in general in sports. Um, you know, as I said, I've been involved in, I don't know if negotiations is the right word, but a lot of conversations about access with people in baseball. And one of them brought her up to me last week. And I said, look, it's a really important issue. And I'm glad you brought it up. I, I think that it does demonstrate the value of 
allowing the media in some way, shape, or form to get back in the clubhouses, back to building relationships, and back to a point where when somebody has to face difficult questions after a game, they're doing it in a more intimate setting and talking to people that they actually know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, all right, I think of the benefits of that versus how impersonal it can be to sit at a press conference setting, especially in the Zoom age. Yep. Um, all right, one more thing on this, and then we'll get to Boog. I, I think we live in a world now where many things are never getting back to what, to what we used to think of as normal. Um, but I, I think media access is probably one of those things. Uh, I don't know where it's heading, but let me throw this at you. If you were in charge, wish you were, <laughs> what advice would you give Rob Manfred and Tony Clark when it comes time to negotiate the future of media access next winter? Yeah, I, I think it's a great opportunity, actually. I, I do. I think it's a great opportunity to reset and, and, and reprioritize in certain ways of values of going together. I, I And that opportunity is that working together on this is so personal and is so much about the relationships that that actually could be good that the players and the uh, owners can come together on this. You know, it's really important because that is the frontward facing aspect of the sport, right? And that's the viability of, of how the game is built uh, with respect to its fans and, and its relationships. And those relationships, you know, transcend the current game. You have veterans and former players and fans. And I mean, this is a legacy that is important. So, I see a great opportunity from the work of that. And, and Naomi Osaka talking to players uh, and getting better understanding, that should be part of the table. So you have a you know, a commission put together and really talk through it. Because why not? Baseball could lead in this because they have that uniqueness of every single day. And uh, so they have a lot of data, so to speak, to work through. Yes, sir. Let's do that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Doug, let's talk about these media access issues down the road again. But right now, we need to welcome in our very special guest, a man who visited Starkville before and then, for some reason, agreed to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the legendary John Boog Shambi. Boog, welcome back. What's up, guys? It's great to be here. I love visiting Starkville. You might get a statue. What's your f- you might get a statue out of it. Yeah. Yeah, like Glanville wants to actually create a town. Like, what's your favorite Starkville feature? None of the above, right? Trivia. 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 Yeah. The, the town hall of trivia. Yeah, That's I like right. It. 
that's what it is. <laughs> Listening to Eska up in trivia flames every, <laughs> every week. week. Who, who wouldn't love that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the fire department right next door. That would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so uh, when last we welcomed you here to Starkville, it was, if I remember right, just as last season was getting rolling. So you were working for ESPN. You were still calling these KBO games in your spare time at four in the morning. And amazingly, absolutely nothing in your life has changed at all since then. Am I right? No, nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, I just moved, took a new job. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a little hectic. It's been a little hectic. It's been great. It's been really wonderful. Yeah, well, you, and, and for those who don't know, I don't know why you don't know, but Boog is now the voice of the Chicago Cubs for the Marquee Network. And I, I know you, people ask you this all the time, but not everybody has heard it, I'm sure. Tell us the story of how this Cubs job came about. It's funny. I've been longtime friends with Len Casper, the former voice of the Cubs and now, you know, voice of the White Sox on radio. And he and I had just been talking about it, and he had mentioned um, – that he had interest in pursuing radio. I think specifically he had interest in radio and he had interest in calling playoff games. You know, one of the things, even people that do what we do, I'm always amazed. Now we're all narcissists in, in broadcasting, but it's amazing how many people that if you just randomly in baseball were to just say, you know, remember the TV guys don't get to call the playoff games. Once it gets into the postseason, they're like, oh yeah, that's right. And so Len Casper has just spent 16 years broadcasting for the Chicago Cubs. Um, and he's seen the biggest moment in the history of the franchise, which won't be duplicated. And I think he had a hankering to call playoff games and to do radio. And so we had talked about it. My main thing was that I wanted my friend to be happy. And so when he finally made the jump i was more focused on it from his standpoint what will it be like for him you know are you going to be happy all of those things and then when that got settled it became hey are you interested in that and i genuinely hadn't i really like my gig at espn i like that i got to call one or two tv games a week and one or two radio games a week i had the best of both worlds i really enjoyed it but I think that eventually the Cubs and Marquee reached out to me. I started to really sit with the idea of this is one of the most special jobs in the sport. It's a town that I love. It's a town that has a passion for baseball that I love. And it just seemed more and more like a fit. And I, I couldn't be happier with the, the fact that they asked me and I couldn't be happier that I'm here. I'm sure you wouldn't have taken just any job. This is one of the great right. baseball jobs in America. Now, yeah. like you've called Marlins games, you've called Braves games, you've called games in pretty much every ballpark in America yeah. for ESPN. But what, what do you think is unique about this job for this team working at Wrigley Field? I think it's multiple things. I mean, in no particular order, They've had legendary broadcasters. I mean, between Jack Brickhouse and Harry Carey, you're talking about two Hall of Fame broadcasters. And then I'm replacing a guy who was great in Len Casper. So there's there's a connection to the booth. I would also say this. 
the fact that the Braves and the Cubs were on superstations, but the Cubs had the advantage of being on a superstation and on and still play games during the day. So the day nature of it and in a media market this size, everybody's always, you know, Friday afternoon at home, they always play day games. That's the game everybody in big league clubhouses is watching. That's the one game on during the day that people might check in on. So there's just something different about it. And again, they love baseball in this town. And so in a market where the sport matters, certainly, you know, as I've said on the North side and where it really matters, I, I, it's just all of it. So the, the day baseball part of it makes it really unique because it's, it's just, yeah, how many other teams are playing consistently at home at 120 on Friday <laughs> or play 50 of their 81 home games during the day? And the answer is none. So it's just special and different. And, you know, to be able to leave the booth every day and, you know, walk around Wrigleyville and talk with fans, that part's been really cool so far as well. Yeah, and John, what's it been like to become a Chicago resident? I mean, I I have two kids born there, so <laughs> I mean, uh, you you know, you connect the dots between the the Cubs life yeah. and the Chicago and the city life. I mean, I'm a city kid, right? I didn't get my driver's license till I was 24. I took the subway to high school in New York City. Um, this has always been a city that has spoken to me. It's been one of my favorite stops, maybe my favorite stop, and so there's. There's always been a familiarity to coming to Chicago. It's always just felt familiar to me. And so I feel right at home in living and existing in the city. I live downtown. I love it. Um, I, I, I could see myself hopefully being here for a long time. That's my hope. I, I really, I really, really like Chicago. You know, these are obviously different times. I, I know you've called a million Cubs games in your day. You and the manager are familiar with each other. But what, what's the hardest part of taking a job like this when you can't roll through the clubhouse like you normally would? You can't travel. You can't get to know the people you're covering, talking about every day the way you normally would. Yeah, that that it's the combo. And then there's a third element specific to this team. So... um I like connecting with people, you know, like different guys get their yayas from this job different ways. I love calling big plays, but connecting with baseball people in person is the thing that I love telling the players stories. You know, I, I think Jason, whether it's you or Tim Kirkjian or Buster Olney or Kenny Rosenthal, Jeff Pass and on and on, I do connect with the reporter component to some extent. I like getting stories and humanizing players. So not having that access is really hard. Calling a game off of a monitor is a disservice to the public. It's, and I'm not easy on myself and I want it to be great. And so I just, I'm not capable of delivering mechanically what I want to deliver in a play-by-play -play call. And then I think I'm good at getting you know, the extra stories um, and telling the players story. The thing I was saying that's unique in terms of this team, people may not realize it, but because I've been doing national games over the course of the run of this Cubs team, I've seen this team a lot. Mm -hmm. I know this team. It's not a team I was unfamiliar with. I know Riz and KB and Hap 
and Contreras and Baez and Bryant and Hendricks and Arietta. I know these guys. Here's the issue. I've read all the stories about them. There's no internet rabbit hole to go down. I've done 15 to 20 Cubs games a year. And so the way I am going to advance the story is to have access. So it makes it more challenging than if I were to go do the Phillies or the Pirates in terms of I've read so much stuff about these guys. In order to advance it, I need the personal interaction. Or I need Patrick Wisdom to hit six homers in seven games, and then I can go down the internet rabbit hole and read about him growing up at St. Mary's, et cetera. But for the most part, like, yeah, I got the Javi Baez, Jose Barrios story. I know about the tattoo on the back of his neck. I know where Riz went to high school. I understand the KBs from Vegas and all the players. But like, I know all this stuff. I've read all of this stuff. I need new stuff, and I need to be able to talk to these guys on a day-in, day-out basis and ask them questions, and that part's – and it's something I think I'm good at. And then I deliver it to the fans, and it's, uh, it's one of the fun things. So that's, that's one of the, the aspects that's particularly challenging, I would say. Yeah, you know, Doug and I were just talking about this, man. And um, like, I'd love to hear your take. <clears throat> How do you explain to people why this doesn't just benefit us? No. Right? right? It benefits them. No. Look... <clears throat> This is going to sound stupid. You either get it or you don't get it. The first game that I did in this manner was last year. Do you remember what the first game of the year was last year? It was Yankees at Nationals. It was Cole against yep. Scherzer. Yep. Game seven of the World Series in 2019 was in Houston. Max Scherzer started. It's American League Park. The DH was in effect. Max Scherzer took BP that night. And people knew he took BP because he liked it for his routine. It helped him get loose. He wasn't hitting that night, but he took BP. And so as we got closer and it was told that the National League in 2020 would have the DH, they asked Max, are you still going to hit on the days that you pitch, even though you won't actually be hitting? And he said, you know what? I'm thinking about it. I'm not really sure. So now it's the day of opening night. The Yankees are playing the Nationals. And all I want to find out is, <laughs> is Max Scherzer taking batting practice? Did anybody see if Max Scherzer's taking batting practice? But nobody's on the field. They're not wearing jerseys. They're wearing pullovers. And everybody's got a mask. And no one's – and I can't get at anyone. Did Max Scherzer take batting <laughs> practice? Did Max Scherzer take batting practice? And all it's for is this. Here's Scherzer, winds and fires, and the 2-1 is outside. It's 3-1. and one. You know, Singy, the interesting thing is that even though the DH is in effect this year, next offering foul back, filled up, Max Scherzer actually took batting <laughs> practice tonight because he said this year he's going to take BP. You get the point. <laughs> but my point is those little bullshit <laughs> nuggets – Add up, but it's the flavor that goes into the broadcast. And if I'm giving you seven or eight or six of those every night, just this little thing that, like, they got the DH this year, but Scherzer doesn't hit, and he's taking BP, that's this type of flavor that Nationals fans find out that just connects the fan to the team a little bit more. And if you don't get how 
a small pile of that goes to nourishing the fan and the fan's interest and humanizing the sport and being good for the game, I can't help you. Well, I should really start pursuing more bull nuggets, huh? I could build a whole career out of that. Something like a fast food restaurant or something. Uh, <laughs> we changed the name of the you weird and wild cow. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, though? man. I, mean, I totally understand it. That's what we do here every, every week, week is talk about bullshit nuggets. Those those little nuances that make it fun, right, Doug? Yes. I mean, this is this is what we live for, man. I mean, so and that's why we have a great appreciate. Well, the other thing, John, you, you've done so well is I noticed you mentioned a reporter or how you might categorize the information they're delivering, but effectively you're an analyst. All right, you're you're you have a, the voice, you have all, but you're an analyst in the how you think and dissect information. So, you know, what has it been like to embrace this this sort of role? I feel like you're free now. Like you're you're able to talk and say the things that it's a lot harder when, you know, you're in, surrounded by Sutcliffe and I or whatever it is, right? But I love to listen to the freedom by which you can analyze the game and, and really be in your space. So can you speak to that and what that's meant to you? Yeah, so... It's funny. I haven't had anybody ask me about it in quite that overt a manner, but <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I guess I do pursue it in like, you know, on the broadcast tonight, we had like one and a quarter analysts. Like that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I've always been interested in the analytics and looking at good objective information and trying to find, I'm trying to make it interesting and smart. And so I am grateful that J.D. tolerates my perspective. And when I have information that I want to present, um, first and foremost, I, I look, you know, the one thing, Jason, for what you do, whatever you want to say, there's ego in what in what you do as an anchor, meaning you have a trust as a, your personal editor that, you know, it's interesting. And I feel like I do as well. That's kind of part of the deal so i'm just dougie trying to get at stuff that's interesting i mean you know you guys both know me personally doug and i have worked a bunch of games together i'm not shy about giving my opinion but i if i feel like there's something to present that's analytical and i think it can enhance the broadcast then i want to do it and i i will also tell you this from mike mccarthy to crane kenny i appreciated that when they hired me they knew what my bullshit nuggets were about. They understood that I like to play. You guys know I like to play. You know I like to have fun. But I also want to try and get into some of the smart stuff and analyze stuff. And if somebody's bunting in a spot, I will absolutely go nerd herd and break out my run expectation table. And JD stays engaged. God bless him. Um, and I enjoy it. And I and I'm I strive to present it without sucking the fun and the soul out of it. So... Well, and, and John, um, I like it. And yeah, and John. So, so, and speaking of that, you talked about fun and soul. And one of the big discussions is, all right, the entertainment value, right, and sort of the yeah. the win value, right. You're playing for wins. You're trying to accumulate yeah. score runs. So, you know, what what has this deeper dive been able to reveal about whether it's the state of the game or you know what you're describing on the field? What is that product right now? Yeah, it's uh, so. That's it right here. Um, 
it, it's, it's fundamentally challenging because the most effective way to score right now is not the most entertaining product. I think it's unfortunate that right now this isn't – I think we're watching the greatest players to ever play the game. I, I am constantly blown away by how good these guys are. Spider tack or not, I'm amazed by how good – all of these guys are doing what they do. I think they're the greatest players ever. It is not yielding the best product by a long shot. That kind of stinks. But I'll give you an example of it. It's this, right? So I'm sitting here. I had this on my scorecard from the other day. This is from May 29th. So here are the slash lines. Average on base and slug from 1968 and 2021. 68 on the 29th was 237, 299, 340. 2021 was 236, 312, 393. So the average is effectively the same. The on-base is 13 points to 2021 advantage. The slug is 53 points advantage. And runs per game is just a shade under one full run a game. So contemplate it for a second. I always make this point. when Pete, and, I, and I like scolding people on it because I like wagging my finger. Um, when you're talking about offense, make sure you're not talking about hitting. There's a difference. It's a scoring contest, not a hitting contest. 237 in, 2000, in 1968 and 236 – in 2021 means that hitters are equally proficient at hitting 4.34 runs per game in 21, 3.42 in 68 means the offenses are very different. And in order to get scoring, we have to try and match planes, hit the ball in the air, be dependent on extra base hits also, the K rate was 15.8% back then. It's 24.1 as of May 29th. It's shifted a little bit. I'm sorry I'm right. talking so much. But you understand you the point. It is, yeah. <laughs> it is yielded a not-so-entertaining product. But to be clear, it's not the same. They're, they can still score. It's not offense. It's hitting. And lack of hitting is boring right. and then one well two things right one what did they do they lowered the mound right okay and yeah. the other is by five right. inches and they like not two inches by five <laughs> inches right in 2021 they're shifting like you know civil war right. tactics on defense right. so you know it's certainly harder to get a hit <laughs> uh today no i mean it's, it's fascinating <laughs> right well that i mean that brings up our friend theo okay he's now the yes. mad professor Messing with all the rules in the minor leagues yes. and in the Atlantic League. Let me ask you, are any, are any of these new rules that he, that he and his ilk are messing with that you really like or really hate or even just really curious about? I'm, I'm going to confess something that when I get annoyed by how long a game is taking, I will randomly text Theo and just say, fix this. This is your fault. <laughs> fix this. Yeah, he's in charge. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, I really do every <laughs> once in a while. Um, so, um, no, I don't think they have any secret sauce there. Um, but I, I here here's one of the biggest things that I that I would say. Um, 
Oh, there, there's a lot that's at issue with the sport right now. I, I'm not sure. you got to figure something out with the strike zone. It's just too hard to hit, and the hitters don't have another adjustment left, in my opinion. There's no adjustment left to – if these guys are throwing harder than ever before, throwing fewer fastballs than ever before, training for velocity. Remember, we always talk about velocity through the prism of fastball. But if my fastball goes from 93 to 95, it drags everything along with it. So that means the slider goes from 84 to 86. What also does that mean? It means it looks like a fastball for longer. So it's just such a challenge right now. I'll give you my two cents. I don't have that on my side, and I'm going to get – so I've already been ties after 12 guy, and people yelled at me, and I was ahead of my time on that. I would just like to say that because I think most people would be more okay with that than they would have been five years ago when they wanted to chase me out of town. Um, I think you – I think a 16-second pitch clock and seven-inning games. I think you have to fundamentally change the way the game is played from an entertainment value. I think it has to move. I think it, it's just got – like, so I love data, but there's no more doing your homework on the field. No, do it before the game. There's no more of that. So, like, we got to get this thing moving. It's just the combo of these three things. It can't keep taking longer with less balls in play, with less time between balls being in play. It means it's taking too long for nothing to happen. Like, that's what baseball is in 2021. It's taking too long. For nothing to happen it's just got to move more so i would posit that all these guys who are now training not to go deep into games to go max effort five innings as hard as they can i don't think they're going to be able to do their max effort inside 16 inside 16 seconds and execute pitches like something will have to give there in order so it needs to be like a hyper pitch clock. It needs to be faster to appeal to younger people. That would be my suggestion to really move it along because, man, innings four, five, and six pretty consistently are tedious in the sport. They're like the intermission. They really are, and it's, uh, it's problematic. I'd be curious to hear John Shambi calling a game in 1982 versus 2021 like what do you think the difference would be um if you have a siever versus a, a carlton on the mound and you have paul molitor's oh that's way more interesting well and, and that's right do you think well first we have less time to talk so that would be less fun for us yes <laughs> but, but you know so okay it's interesting but what you know what do you think you would focus here's on Here's the point this is the yeah. this is the one point i do want to make that 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 keeps getting lost do I think with change in approach, we could change a, at least a modicum of the entertainment value with hitters approach? Could they put the ball in play more? Yes. Would it help them score more? No. And that's the problem. You're trying to win the game. The best way to score is to sell out because you need extra base hits because it is too. So, okay, great. Don't sell out and hit your crappy ground ball right at the shortstop. You're not getting four singles in the inning. You're not going to score. So do I think we could see the hitters do something to help enhance the entertainment value? Yes. Would it enhance their ability to win the game? Absolutely not. 
That's the fundamental point that is lost on so many people, that they are hitting this way as the most efficient way to score. It gives them the best chance to win the game and score more right, so runs. What's the, and, it is at, and it is at odds with the entertainment right, so value. What's the, so what's the imperative? That I think that's the question. What is the imperative for it? It has to right. change pretty markedly, right. and, I, and I think that's what's hard. You know, like you know, because yeah, you. Yes. you know, I mean, Jacob Degrom, are you going to get four singles in a row off him? No, um, and so right. you try to hit that rare home run. Well, he's just impossible. But you know, other examples of like humans, um, you know, that you can actually hit the home run and and score those runs. And so yeah, it's it's very cyclical now. It's like you're 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 playing you're you're the dog chasing its own tail, and I, and so yes. I don't know. I mean, yes, the head of the tail may be pitching, but you got to do something, right? So. Uh, the, the other thing I would say that's interesting, I, I love making this point as well, and I'm I'm amazed at how much of a gas bag I've been in this interview even for me. <laughs> um, the the one other point that I would make is that players hate change; they like routine. But if you fundamentally break down what makes the guys that got to the big leagues good, it's ability to adjust. So you may like your routine and your peanut butter and jelly sandwich at two, et cetera, but the ability to adjust, Nomar Garcia Parra would have still hit 370 if he wouldn't, if he hadn't been able to do all his batting glove bullshit, <laughs> he still would have hit over 370. So like, I don't believe anybody would play under their true talent level because we're asking them to play a little bit faster. So it's, unco- so it's uncomfortable for players. And I get that but they'll be fine because they're great because they're the greatest that we've ever seen. And they'll adjust to whatever we come up with. I really believe that. Yeah. I mean, I had to throw away my batting stance in triple a cause I faced Greg Olson and he threw a curveball, and I was like, okay, that's it. This is not going to work. I mean, that's what I had to do literally. Uh, and one pitch. Right. So um, yeah, but I agree. It's adjustments. It's a game of adjustments. You have to, to survive. And, and um, you know, that, that's a big part of it. So routine. And, and one thing I learned about changing my swing was that, he, I remember Glenn Adams was my hitching, my hitting coach, and he said, "Look, you have to just get uncomfortable, and it's going to be weird for three weeks, but I, I guarantee this is going to make you a better hitter." So, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I want to give you a chance to rant about one more thing. Okay, you you touched on. I feel this. like I've been I've been strong in the ranting game. Yeah, we, we like it uh, when you rant. Okay, so sorry. I, I here, I'm just going to say one word. Yeah, bunt the bunt. <laughs> The Royals bunted themselves into a triple play on Sunday. So did you think that went pretty well? Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> I mean, Tony La Russa bunted the other day against the Tigers yeah. and lowered his run expectation by like 10% in a spot. <laughs> uh, you know, look, I, I, there's still spots where it, you know, it can work. It just depends on what you're, what you're trying to do. Um, I, I'm not a never bunt guy. I'm I'm kind of more a math guy. And also, I'd also say this. I think on the bunt, you do have people that still – and I'm, I think Doug and I have wrestled on this one, but this idea of everybody should be able to get a bunt down. Man, when are you getting practice against a guy throwing 97 miles an hour getting the bunt down? And so, look, the permutations off of I want you to bunt here can be – Fouled off. Now it's 01. That what did we we just wasted 01 and this guy's got a 92 mile an hour slider. <laughs> so there's that. But I, I'm not a never bunt guy. I just it that we we need to come to terms with the fact that 
some of these concepts that we love. Baseball's weird, right? It likes to be this ultimate team sport, and we love the sacrifice because it makes us all feel good about ourselves. It's like, we're just a team. I, I sacrifice for you. But, like, in the end, you know, is it a smart tactical play? And sometimes it is, and most of the time it's not. So it's died in the same way the pitch out has died, in the same way the intentional walk has died. It's math, you know? So – I don't have if it's a smart play tactically or it's even I'm good with it. But it also uh, I, I yeah, I, I I think we've we've learned and we've gotten better in spots. All right, why don't we move along and talk a little about the Cubs? So you don't have to rant as much. Uh, you okay. know, there's been so much speculation about the Cubs yeah. doing the big sell off in July. And then the players thought. We're not going to cooperate with that at all. And they keep winning. What do you think Jed Hoyer winds up doing at that deadline now? Oh, gosh. Jason Stark. It's, what? It's June 7th. I can't. I, I mean, um, I'm not sure. I I would say it, it's hard, right? I Look, I'm not – Bryant is the most interesting one. Bryant is the one that in a vacuum, if they sold off, I'd be curious what level of prospect you might be able to get back. I'm not advocating as such, but I would say I wouldn't expect it to be especially sexy because if I were to prognosticate – look, I think that the offense has been right about where it should be for the Cubs. Um the bullpen has been quite good. They've won a, a slew of one-run games and played a lot of one-run games. And as you know, as we've mentioned, I think they're now thirteen and ten in one-run games. You know, the good teams don't play one-run games. The good teams beat people's asses. Like that's the reality of it. I mean, that's that's how it works. You know, as I always like to say, if, if you wanted to, to to play Michael Jordan one-on-one, would you play him to one or would you play him to twenty-one? <laughs> play him to one. Right, because that lessens oh, yeah. the talent gap. One shot, I might flip it up and in. And thanks, Mike. I'm the greatest. Just remember, ever. I was but, on a team so, that, that right, beat Michael Jordan. So, no, no, we're not going to let Glanville I, talk about playing Jordan just, again. I'm not right. going okay. to ramble. I just want to throw that out I, there. I, 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 <laughs> His team won. I, I, okay, I've let's move the, on. I've heard the podcast. <laughs> I heard it. Um, so, I, look. I think they – I don't think anybody in this division is good enough to step on the gas to 94 wins. And so the only thing I'll tell you is that I feel pretty confident the Cubs are going to be in it come the trade deadline. That's the that's the issue that Jed's going to have. I don't know how good the team will be or what they'll do, but I don't think the Cardinals or Brewers are good enough to be 94-ish wins, 95-ish wins, and step on the gas and say, see you later. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I think what's way more interesting is what the Cubs will look like beyond this year, mm-hmm. right? Beyond July. You you have any sense of that vision? I don't. Um, you know, again, I think that the, the one area where it's shifted, where I think there's some excitement around the Cubs, some of the guys that have come through their system. I mean, Tommy Nance is a 30-year-old rookie, but the stuff is pretty – ridiculous and then guys like Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele they really um yeah they feel good about some of these young arms and it's they they haven't that's one thing they've they they've hit on hitters 
but not on pitchers and pitcher development. And so I think that that's part of what makes them excited. But I don't know what, you know, what the long-term future is. Who's the guy most likely to stay? I think I would bet on Rizzo as the most likely guy to stay, but I don't have, I mean, Jed didn't tell me that. So I, I'm not really sure what, you know, what it looks like in the next couple of years. My guess is, though, that, you know, you're playing at Wrigley Field and it's a passionate fan base and eventually they'll reset. The farm system has some some good pieces, um, you know, with guys like, you know, Davis and Marquez. And my guess is that they'll be able to reset and they should have money to spend in a couple of years. So um, I, I'm not, you know, they're in a transition phase. There's no doubt. Well, you mentioned Rizzo and, and think of the many conversations we've had about uh, how much we've appreciated his game. We've talked a lot about comparing to Chris Bryant. What's it been like to now cover him day to day in that perspective? Because I think you've always seen him as like the quiet, most valuable player for year in, year out for the Cubs. Rizzo's fun to watch, I think, especially in baseball 2021. You know, it gives you a special appreciation for, I'm not saying this is apples, but like you realize how important a healthy Michael Brantley is the guys that can give you slug and contact. So to see Anthony Rizzo again, he'd like the slug to be a little higher, but still you're talking a guy that has the ability to hit homers, but also, you know, is not a 20%, 25% strikeout rate guy. And he draws a walk. He gives you a really good at bat. And then he is an active plus defender at first base and watching the footwork, the hands, the throwing, impact the game he's a really fun player to watch and um yeah I, I just i he gives you a really good at bat and obviously bryant's been chris bryant chris you know the, the question about last year 34 games you know what's chris bryant chris bryant's still great is the answer so um hey last week in baseball we had an occasion that i know was near and dear to your heart uh lou gehrig day so first question why did it take so long for this sport to have a Lou Gehrig day? Yeah, it's hard. I, I don't I don't have a great answer for it, but a group of people, the Lou Gehrig Day Committee, um, Adam Wilson, who's a, uh, a man who has ALS, who's a big Cincinnati Reds fan, uh, Brian Wayne Gallantine, B. Wayne, uh, who lost his battle recently with ALS, part of the committee, the Haverstrow family, um, you know, they went around to all the teams and got them to participate. I wish I could tell you why it's taken that long, but I lost a good friend, Tim Sheehy to ALS, a guy that I'd known since I was seven years old. I lost him in 2007. I've been helping to run a charity project, Main Street, since 2006 that aids patients um, in terms of offsetting the financial burden with ALS. The average out-of-pocket cost for a patient with ALS is $250,000. It's pretty incredible. Wow. So. The day on Wednesday was gratifying because the, I cannot say enough nice things about Marquee Sports Network and the Cubs and their support. I mean, there were five suites filled with ALS patients. Um, and as your condition declines, your mobility declines, your communication skills decline, the biggest thing is your ability to connect and feel part of a community declines. You basically became become a shut-in. And for a day gosh, all these people were just glowing. They felt connected. They felt part of something. They felt seen. They felt heard. And obviously, the broader picture is you want to find a cure. 
and you want to not forget about these people. And so, and then you're also honoring Lou Gehrig, who's one of the greatest players in the history of the sport, arguably the best first baseman of all time. And, you know, the part that I point out is his number four was the first number retired in professional sports. So you can make the case that the reason, you know, that in your local ballpark in Philadelphia, number 20 is flying or, you know, Al Kaline's number is flying in Detroit. Effectively, the reason is because Lou Gehrig got ALS. So um, it's personal for me, and I'm grateful. It was overwhelming, um, emotional, stressful, um, and I sang the seventh inning stretch. (laughs) And as an aside, I sang the seventh inning stretch, and I just tell you a quick story. So I sang the seventh inning stretch. I had no singing ability. My voice (laughs) is my voice, but I've never karaoke'd. I don't know how to hit a note if I wanted to hit a note. And I finished, and two things. One, when people sing the anthem, broadcasters are always kind of complaining about the anthem. I put the the anthem singers in New York City subway terms. It's either the local or the express. <laughs> Give me the express, not the local. Move it along. Let's go. I gave them the local. I don't know why. It was really bad form. The other part that I will totally cop to is this. People texted me. People tweeted at me. People came up to me, looked me right in the eye and said, hey, nice job with the seventh inning stretch. And then they sent me the (laughs) and my next thought was, you all lied to me. (laughs) You lied to my face. You lied on text. You lied over tweet. I it was the most wretched thing I've ever seen in my life. But I got to say my friend's name. And to shout out all the ALS warriors, so I guess it was worth it for me to be Absolutely. that. Absolutely, it's even in light of Glanville, yeah, right? I mean, they, I was, they told you how bad you yeah, were. Yeah, I mean, but no, I mean, I I actually put a poll out of these top singers to see who I was most like. I think it was like Luther Vandross, Daryl Hall, you know. So um, you know, but um, yeah, I I think it's just about firing up the crowd. That's the only bar. It's not <laughs> you can miss all the notes, but as long as everybody's cheering. You've done a great job, yeah. so I've learned that. I've done it, I think, four times, so I feel pretty good about it. Wow. <laughs> so so of all the things that you've done in your life, where did that rank on the nerve-wracking scale? I, like, I would be terrified. I'd forget every word. So I went slow because I was scared I was going to forget the words. A song that I've sung nine bazillion... <laughs> yes. I don't claim to sung a song any more than that, and... I legitimately, in hindsight, would say I I called the seventh inning, and then I called the bottom half. I feel like I blacked out <laughs> the middle. That's <laughs> and I was, yeah, I, that that's, I got to, Shulman uh, had laryngitis for game five of the World Series on ESPN Radio in 2018, so I called the clincher. I mean, that was a walk in the that, yeah, that, I didn't even – that was just fun. I th- This was as nerve-wracking as anything I've done in recent memory and maybe ever. It, it was – yeah, it was – it was – yeah, it was nerve-wracking. You're not – you're just not used to it. You know, you're talking to that microphone and everybody's, like, reacting to you. You don't think about doing a game and if there are two, three, four million people watching – that there are that many people watching. When you see all the people, it kind of freaks you out a little bit. Yeah, did, and, did you feel and the – did you feel the ghost of Harry Carey hovering over the booth? I I don't know that Let's I hear it. did. <laughs> I I mean I yeah I I uh, 
I see that in the picture all the time. I, I'm humbled that I sit in that booth. You know what I mean? People ask me about that, and it's like he's just—he's one of the, you know, he's the type of thing that why baseball has the, you know, the it has the grasp on people that it does. Even fringy baseball people have an idea who Harry Carey is. So, yeah, that I'm doing it in that booth is pretty wild. <laughs> You know, we asked uh, Bloom a couple weeks ago as part of his Boston acclamation quiz if he knew all the words to Sweet Caroline. Oh, yeah. Do you know all the words to Go Cubs Go? <laughs> um, do I know all? No, I don't know hey, Chicago, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. <laughs> okay. Heim said, we're not going to find out on this podcast, and we're not going to find out about you either, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, I... I... Yeah, I, I I don't know all the words to go, go Cubs go. Don't tell me. <laughs> no. Okay, nobody can hear nobody this. Will know. It's fine. Know. Uh, uh, before we move on now, tell people how they can get involved with Project Main Street, how they can give if they like. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we just finished the cool auction, but there are T-shirts. Um, the best way to go about getting them, obvious T-shirt, or sorry, obvious shirts. Obvious shirts, so... Two S's back to back. Obviousshirts.com slash boog. And there are ALS shirts and Lou Gehrig Day shirts that are really cool and Project Main Street shirts. Also projectmainstreet.org. Dollar for dollar, every one we bring in goes out to help someone living with ALS. So I'm grateful you guys uh, let me do that. Thank uh, you. That's jo- that, that's just awesome. And um, anybody who didn't get a chance to write that down, go to Boog's Twitter feed. Yeah. And he posts about this stuff all the time. Hey, why don't, why don't we do a quick lightning rod round yes. before we let yeah. you go? All right, um, I'm ready. Yeah. Road ballpark that you miss most? San Francisco. Because? I just love the view, just seeing the water. We were just there. I was just sort of looking at it through a monitor, <laughs> and it made me sad. That's my uh, that's my favorite place to go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, David Ross, better manager, catcher, or broadcaster? <laughs> oh. <laughs> This is trouble. Push. There are no winners here. <laughs> yep. Leave that alone. Great at all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Matt, all of the above. Yeah. Matt. Yeah. All of the above. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Bryant's team next year. <laughs> <laughs> you thought this would be uh, easy, didn't you? Jeez Louise. <laughs> um, Chris Bryant's team yeah. next year is... Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I, I think it, it, um, wow. What would be the potential? If it's not the Cubs, what would be the potential landing spots? Um, Scott Boris client. So yeah, Scott Boris client. I, I'm, I'm Prop, not sure. Yeah. Probably I, not the pirates. Probably not out. the pirates. I don't, not the Yankees. Uh, yeah. Could be Cubs. Okay. Uh, you, you can try this next lightning round if you want. Yeah, I'll try it next lightning round. God, I just slowed the lightning round. Yeah, golly. All right, the first time I wrote about slowed round. First time I wrote about you, you were you were calling Marlins games, doing Marlins pre and post games. So more iconic, Billy the Marlin or the Wrigley Ivan? (laughs) No, I mean John Ruth, the old school Billy the Marlin. Love him to death, but it's the Ivy. Yeah. Sorry, Billy the Marlin. Love you. But <laughs> no, that's, no. That, that would be an accurate description. All right. Uh, one more. Uh, weirdest place 
back in the day that you and Sutcliffe ever had Doug Glanville broadcast. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. It's a good question. Doug knows. Well, I mean, I we I, like I, I would, I would. And what what impressed I'd, you the most? I didn't get us. I would like first of all. <laughs> that was not like Sutton. I were like, where would, do we put him? Like, yeah, that, we, that was not. That's not how that how that one worked. I don't even. What would be the sort of the quirkiest place? Like one time in Boston, Dougie was up in like up in the Budweiser <laughs> yeah, was a... hanging over the field. Um, yeah, that was nice. That'll... The part it was it was pretty astounding. We would do these games, and he would see. I mean, he would see stuff. And work in seamlessly. I mean, those are some of the most fun broadcasts that I've ever done, like with the two of those guys and just doing hitter pitcher and Dougie really just carving up outfield defense, base running and the perspective where he would sit from, you know, in a unique, a unique spot. So there are so many. Is there one that stands out to you? Was there any real weird one? Well, Dougie? I, I think you're on this game when we went to Colorado and it was rain delay and all this and i i ended up in standing water i was like literally in standing water which is not great with all that electronic equipment uh so i'm not sure yeah if you were at that one but um i think it was the dodgers and it did it get hailed yeah, out it was i think it was the dodgers yeah because jansen no jansen couldn't pitch because he had he had that because he had heart the heart thing. yeah it was that game um i i did well did you see me go down the slide were you on that game in milwaukee where i, I don't know if you were at that one <laughs> yes i saw you go down the slide the slides that's pretty yeah, that's legit, legit. that, that is pretty way up there man I, I can top your your uh your fenway how far away from home plate did i watch a game from story because when i was young and really stupid i climbed one of those billboards across the street what? from the monster My goodness what uh, they, like you can't do that no, now. No, I hope you'd, not. You'd be thrown in jail for like ten years. But back then, people were doing it, like hauling up pulleys worth of beer, and it was crazy. Wow, a billboard. I don't recommend it. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> oh my god, I was terrified yeah. the whole time. Couldn't wait to get down. Lots of there's lots of perches across from Wrigley. You know, many. many. True. I know. I know. I just I'd like to stay in the booth for a little while. I'd like to, to be in the booth for a road game this year. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, let's go for that. What you think? There's hope of that. I hope so. I do. I do. I you know it's. Uh, I do think it's something um, that's coming. I I do think. I look. I I've, I've been outspoken about it. I do think it's something that the league could have handled better. I like. I'm. Look from a health standpoint. I'm in on being as safe as possible. I do think that if there are going to be people wall to wall and you don't know hundred percent if they're vaccinated and you have vaccinated broadcasters at this point, like spacing and traveling should be on the table. And it's been, it's been frustrating to call games remotely and we haven't really gotten communication as to what's the bar for travel and who decides it. And we want it to be great. And I think that just from the league standpoint, if I was, you know, to be straightforward, look, we're delivering their product. We're delivering their product. So we're into, I want it to be great. And so I just wish they would be a little more communicative about what the hurdles are, what the bar is going to be, when it'll happen. Because in the end, we're serving the fan base. Like, 
I mean, especially when you're talking about in spots where 10% of your audience, the only way they can access, if only 10% can access it in person, then it's kind of incumbent on the league and, you know, to make sure that what's being delivered to the rest of the fans is good. Well, you brought us back full circle to where we started this conversation and it, it does matter. And let, let, let's hope we keep inching back toward some semblance of what we used to think of as normal. Yeah. And that's, that's in everything. But I know one thing, if you're describing it, it's going to be good. Cause Thank you. that's, that's what you do. Yes, sir. We're going to let you go there, man, but it's always so much fun to talk baseball with you. Uh, keep up the great work. You are welcome to come visit us in Starkville anytime. Yeah, man. I love you guys. It's great to see you. I want to just, I, can I just come and like hang out? And you can mute yeah. me. I promise. Like <laughs> tell yes. Tim, I, can I just be one of the boxes and just like sit and, and just like listen and hang out. I'll be over Dougie's shoulder yeah. or whatever you want to sure. do. Sure. Um, yeah, man. I love seeing you guys. I love talking baseball with you. I'm sorry. I screamed and, I love your brother, man. Thanks we, for the time, we, too. Yes, sir. We lured you right into our trap, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, you guys are the best. <laughs> You're the best. Hey, thanks so much, man. It was awesome. Yep. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's that time again. It is time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And I know we took last week off from getting these things wrong, <laughs> and frankly... 
we needed that. <laughs> but but every other week this season, we continue to literally involve you in the show by picking the most fun listener trivia question of the week and then inviting you to join us on this very podcast live to stump us with your questions. Uh, we'll tell you how you can do that in a few minutes. But first, Doug, we have a trivia crisis we need to address. Yeah. Uh, you know, this weekend, we had some great questions tweeted at us. But we could not use most of those questions on the show. And you know why that was? No. Because people aren't just asking us great <laughs> questions. What are they also doing, Doug? They're answering them. They're answering the questions, and that is where the crisis comes in. If you tweet the answers, we can't use the questions. Okay, It's a pretty simple concept. So, Doug, what's the best way we can convince our loyal listeners and trivia followers to not get so caught up in this fun that they actually answer the questions before we've had a chance to get them wrong? Afterwards, we don't care what they do. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, maybe we, we put it on our mayor to sift through and have a special Twitter handle. Or we um, maybe we don't read our Twitter feed, maybe? I, I don't know. Those are about two good options. Well, how are we going to pick the questions if we don't read the Twitter we to, feed? We have to delegate um, it. You know, maybe we need... Uh, the, the Twitter equivalent of those, you know, those invisible dog fences. Right, exactly. And if, so if you tweet the answer to the question, you get zapped by your yeah, keyboard. Exactly. The dog let's, fence. let's go with that. <laughs> All right. At any rate, let's move along to this week's question because it comes from a good friend of ours. It's the amazing John Fisher, head of research for CBS Sports Now, a guy we both work with at ESPN. Yeah. One of the tremendous st statistical minds in all of America. So, Fish, thanks for the question and thanks for joining us here on Starkville. Always a pleasure. You know, unlike most of the questions we get here, uh, it looks like you didn't actually just go steal this question. You, you, it looks like it took a lot of work. So I want to ask you where you came up with the idea, and then you can just, I guess, go right from there to laying the question on us. So we can get the uh, the weekly trivia debacle over with. Yeah, not as much work uh, as you might think based on, uh, oh, well, thanks to the incredible stat head tool and the reference sites. Uh, they make a question like this pretty easy. Honestly, I, I do text messages with a group of a few friends and they all have, they're all good trivia people. And sometimes I try stuff out to see if there would be a good answer. Uh, and they like this question. They were able to get some of the answers. It wasn't too easy. It wasn't too hard. So it was just something in the course of it. I thought, I wonder if there's something here and a good answer. And it turned out there was. So I sent it your guys' way. Here we are. All right. Here we are. Those are my favorite kinds of questions. Just easy enough that you think maybe you can get it, but just hard enough that no, you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So why don't you hit us yep. with this week's question? All right. So uh, since RBIs became official in 1920, there have been four guys to lead a decade in home runs and RBIs. There have been 10 full decades since then, starting with the 1920s and through the right. 2010s, which went 2010 to 2019. So in those 10 decades, four times a guy led the entire decade in home runs and RBIs. Can you name those four guys? All right. Boy, this is a great question, but it's way too hard. <laughs> yeah, this is one more week where clearly we missed Doug's devious cheating scheme. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad uh, to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this was like, I here's how I try to do it, Doug. I wrote down every decade and then tried to figure out who might have led that decade. You know what I decided? This is not possible, but like we have to give it a shot. It's what we do here. 
Uh, so the 1920s, that feels like Babe Ruth. Let's just go with that, right? Uh, the 30s, seems like a Jimmy Fox kind of decade. So I'm kind of leaning that way. 50s, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking Willie Mays, but I also have this horrible feeling that Duke Snyder sneaked into there somewhere. Uh, let's see, the other possibilities, I thought of Henry Aaron in the 60s, Mike Schmidt in the 80s. But, you know, Eddie Murray and Dale Mur Murphy were lurking there. Uh, in the 2000s, I can't decide whether it's Albert Pujols or A-Rod. So, mm. so, basically, I'm struggling. I'm going to let you save us, Doug. Help! Oof, I don't know if I can save you. I mean, I, um, I, I have Pujols as one of them. I like Schmidt in the 80s because I like Schmidt anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about Stan the Man? What, was he ever... Uh, you know, 40s, but would he have led the 40s in homers? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, Ralph Kiner was. I had Ruth, yeah. I had man. Ruth. Um, so I had Ruth Pujols Schmidt and what, Mays? What decade am I missing? I have Ruth Fox, Fox. Ruth Fox Mays. Well, there's a lot of decades, yeah. Doug. There's 10 of them. Yeah, no, I, I didn't even <laughs> try 2010. So I was like, whatever, <laughs> skipping them. Uh, yeah, the um, that's what I got. So I'd say, yeah, Ruth Pujols Schmidt and. Whoever else you want to add, Jimmy uh, Fox. Okay, I, I, okay, I don't think Schmidt is right, but so why don't we go, Ruth Fox, Mays, Pujols. All right, is that you want to? Yeah, I like that? it. Go, go, go with those four. At least we're going to get it over. Yeah. With. Okay, we're in so the ballpark. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a disaster, <laughs> but uh, Fish, is there any chance it's Ruth Fox, Mays, and Pujols? So you're. Disaster would be overstating it for sure. I'll give you the close calls real quick. <laughs> oh, wow, close. Uh, yeah. Willie Mays, he was third in the 60s in home runs, fourth in RBIs. All right. All right. And in the Albert, 50s, Pou no? Albert Pujols in the had, uh, had two chances. Wow. He was wow. actually in the 2000s, third in homers, second in RBIs. In the 2010s, fourth in homers and led the decade really? in RBIs. Nice. Wow. So not really? that far off. Not that far off with the wrong answers. Ruth and Fox were right. Okay. Babe Ruth in the 20s, Jimmy Fox in the 30s. Nice. Um, I feel good about that. The uh, the other the other two right answers you guys mentioned at some point. You oh. want to give it a shot or you want me to reveal? All right. So maybe Mike Schmidt's right. Uh, I don't know. That, that sounds Schmidt, good. I feel Schmidt's good. A, Schmidt is correct? Schmidt's another close call. Uh, he led the 80s in homers, yeah. but was third in RBIs behind Eddie Murray and nice, Dale Murphy. Nice. Uh, the other two the other two right answers. Duke Snyder in the 50s, you said early. Ooh. Jason. Duke. And it took again until the 2000s when A-Rod did it. A-Rod, okay. Home runs and RBIs. Okay, so it was A-Rod. So we, right. like we thought it through nice. to the point where we could have gotten it right. My, but then we did my scheme, man. You needed my scheme. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I've been I've been there were a bunch of close it. calls too. Nice. In the sixties, Harmon Killebrew and Hank Iron were one two and then reversed in the other category. Oh, yeah, uh, Nelson Cruz last decade was first in Homer, second in RBIs. Wow. And Ted Williams was the right. same in the forties. So awesome. there were a couple of guys right there. Nice. So see, like all we had to do was name four iconic right. Hall of Fame type players. They ride down on the well, yeah, well, his Hall of Fame <laughs> yet to be determined, but we still couldn't do it. Yeah, so, like, every week that goes by, I, I'll admit this, I am having more second thoughts about banning Glanville's <laughs> cheating scheme. Because, <laughs> like, all right, we're 10, 
10 trivia questions in now. What are we are we 2 and 8? Well, last week trivia forfeited, so that's a win for us. Trivia forfeited last week. It's not. Yeah, so. No, that we were Iowa last week. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't win when you get rained out. So we're 2 and 8. We're going to clinch the number 1 pick at this yeah, rate. Anyway. First round draft pick, then we can change the rules. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's another devious Doug Glanville scheme waiting to happen. All right, whatever. If you listen regularly, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong, mostly wrong, we still bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to salvage this segment by playing a slice of awesome play-by-play, something or other, that relates to our trivia question. So, Mr. Mayor, what have you got for us today? This one was not easy, guys. Uh, not a lot of audio of Babe Ruth, actual play-by-play <laughs> out there, or Jimmy Fox. We're going to go back to the 50s. 1952. Now, these home runs and RBIs don't count towards this mark because they came in the World Series. Game six, Duke Snyder for the Dodgers. He's off for one. For the series, he's seven for 23. Boom. Look out. Look out. You needn't look anymore. There's another one. A ball. Well, the Duke is tearing up the P-Pack. Two homers in the game, four homers in that World <laughs> Series. Unfortunately, they lost that game 3-2. to two. His two solo homers, the only runs. And then they lost game seven to the Yankees as well. Of course they lost. They were the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> they were cursed. Was, was that Red Barber? It was Red Barber. It was Red, Red Barber. Wow. That was incredible. You don't get to hear Red Barber very Good often fun. here in the Potterverse. So, hey, Doug, once again, the mayor has saved us. Yes. You know, one thing I find is when people finish listening to those fabulous baseball moments, like, does anybody even remember how bad we are at trivia? No, of course not. <laughs> it's all washed away. No. Yeah. No, you got Red Barber. It's the, it's the consolation yeah. prize. So, thank you, Red. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Mayor. Good work. And, and Fish, Fish, John thank Fisher. You, Thank great you. Question. Always a pleasure. Great, great. Yeah, I loved it. My pleasure. See you guys. All right, man. Take care. All righty. It's time for one of our favorite parts of every show, the strange but true portion of the festivities. Strange but true. Uh, good news is we do not have any Doug Glanville rants on the running lane this no. week, <laughs> but we do have something very special. And that would be the least mathematically correct walk in baseball history. This was like a little over a week ago. Tigers playing the Yankees. Gio Urshela was at the dish. Here's what happened. Here's the 2-2 to Gio. And the pitch low outside. In fact, back to the screen, 3-2. and two. So that is the very first walk of the. I was looking at my scorecard. That's the first walk of the game. (laughs) John Sterling sounds a trifle confused there, Doug. And John Sterling's never confused. I I think I had the feeling I know why he was so confused. Because you just heard Gio Urshela walk on ball three. Right. (laughs) Right? Like four balls or a walk? (laughs) No, not in Detroit. So. Like, I know you didn't walk much in your day, but how many more walks do you think you would have drawn if the umpires had lost track of the count? About 500. Yeah, about 500. <laughs> so I'm feeling pretty good about that. My on-base percentage shot through the roof. Right. You don't get to retroactively do no. that. But I, <laughs> have you ever, Did you ever have anything like that happen where 
He had an umpire. He just kind of, kind of zoned out. He lost touch with the universe, and it somehow affected something that you were up to. Yeah, I, I have like two two stories. Uh, one was in AAA when I was playing for the Iowa Cubs, and we had an automatic steal second on a 3-1 or 3-2 count. So I got on first, and the umpire behind home was very passive when he called the strike, so nobody knew. So I looked at the scoreboard. It said 3-1. I asked the first base umpire. He said 3-1. So I'm like, good, I'm going. The count was 2-2, and nobody knew it. So the catcher, you know, pitcher threw. It was ball three. I thought it was ball four, so I started jogging into second, walking into second, and they threw it down and tagged me out, and I was like, what? So everybody was confused, but turned out it was actually 2-2. So home plate up had to be a little bit more demonstrative because he was confusing his own crew. Uh, so, by the way, that was a day that my manager uh, didn't, didn't only take me out of the game. He kicked me out of the stadium. I've never had heard that of before, but uh, we didn't exactly have a great relationship. So he threw me out of the game and then threw me out of the stadium and told me to go back to the hotel. Okay, so. Really? I'm going to have to remember that when you act yeah, up. Yeah, that was, that was deep. So the major league version of that is I had a stolen base streak going in Philadelphia I don't know what it was, but it was in the teens, I think. You have to look it up. This is my recollection, at least. And um, so, you know, it was a day game, stole second, you know, slid in, hit the base, guy catches it, and tags me. Okay. I mean, I was safe by, I don't even know what, like feet. I mean, millennia. I have no idea what you want to use there. And the umpire <laughs> pauses and then calls me out. It was the It was the worst call ever done to me. But it was so bad that it evoked sympathy because clearly he just wasn't paying attention. Something was just, he just forgot. Turned out he thought it was a force play. He just blacked out. And so he did catch it with his foot on the base before I got there. And then I popped up and he tagged me. So Francona comes out and he walks out there. And he says, I know you know you messed up. Okay, this is not even a debate. You got to change the call. And he's like, I can't. I, I know I messed up. I, I can't change it. I, I have no power to overrule it. So I had to walk off the field. I mean, he felt horrible, but it was just, he just like blacked out. He just forgot the situation. So uh, yes, of course, you know, they're human. They go through it. And, and when it's when it's so bad that you can't even be mad, you know, it just was, it was just such a bad call. You just couldn't even do anything with it. So yeah, it happens. So you got to just keep moving. Uh-huh. How many bases in a row would you have stolen if you'd gotten that one? I, like I got to look at it. It wasn't that many, but it was. I had a real good run going, too. It was crazy. and Because uh, the one year I was 34 for 36. And so I, I think yeah. it was in that year. It may have been the year before. But, yep, so much for streaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the three-ball walk, Doug. You know, they would like to see the game zip along a little faster. That could that be the answer. three-ball <laughs> walk. Right. Let's think about it. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for another fabulous edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here in our new home as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. On Mondays, it's Ken Rosenthal's Mailbag. On Thursday, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby do their thing. Fridays, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper with all kinds of inside tidbits. All these shows are so good, so check them out. Also, the Athletic Baseball Show is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you go to queue up your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us ad-free at The Athletic and The Athletic app. So we would love it if you would subscribe and feel free to give us one of those five-star ratings if you like what you hear. 
And if you'd like to read our work or any of the tremendous writing on our site, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show, you can subscribe for just $3.99 a month. $3.99. Pocket change. Also, one more thing. Remember, you too can be part of this podcast just like John Fisher just was. Because every week, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question to join us here on the podcast and prove once again there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. <laughs> so to do this, just submit a great baseball trivia question either via email at starkvilleattheathletic.com or just follow John Fisher's lead, fire <laughs> those questions at us on Twitter, and to fire a question at Doug Glanville, here's how this would yes, work. And the key word is question, not answer. We, we, you know, we don't want answers. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. I'll be waiting for your trivia questions. Yeah, I'll be waiting too at Jason S-T. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Don't forget now to hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Boog Shambi for visiting us. Thanks to John Fisher for the great trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it'll be Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. Starkville.